morning. And here's what God says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. Now help us as we look to your word that you would instruct us by the very presence of your spirit at work in us and in our midst. Father, we want to not leave here merely knowing some things that we didn't know previously. Father, we, we want you to change us through your word by your spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, really, the verses that I just read, I'm kind of in the middle of a progression of thought, if you would. Uh, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 are, are really built upon the, the issues and the directives that we looked at last week in verses 2, 3, and 4. Last week, we were given this daunting command in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. We're to look at trials, and we're to find delight in them. We're to find joy in them. Uh, not, not that we have to deny reality and suppose that trials in and of themselves are delightful or joyful, but, but, but we, 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 we understand that God is at work in those trials with his own agenda, his own purposes, and he's using those trials to produce spiritual growth and maturity in us. And so we can rejoice in our trials because that's a part of the very curriculum that, that our Heavenly Father uses to grow us. But before we can get to the point where we can count it all joy uh, in the midst of trials of various kinds, we're going to need some wisdom. See, it takes wisdom to respond to trials fittingly. If we are going to rejoice in, re, in response to our difficulties, our losses, our hurts, our sadnesses, our trials, then, then we're going to need some aid. We're going to need some help from the Lord. And in particular, what the Lord specifies as the express kind of help or aid that we need is that we need wisdom. Now, just a word about this thing called wisdom. We've touched on this a couple of weeks ago as we were orienting ourselves to the book of James as a whole, because James has much to say to us about this matter of wisdom. He starts off with it, and he takes us all the way through it, but wisdom is more than smarts or knowledge. Not that I'm putting those things down, Wisdom is in the category of moral skill for living. 
It, it, it entails a, a perspective. It, it, it entails a, a, an ability to, for, to see or to have insight uh, to th- as, so that, it, so that it, it affects how we think, how we feel, how we act, how we relate, so that how we live is worked out in terms of the practice of righteousness. Practical righteousness is really the issue of, of, of wisdom. For instance, over in the third chapter of James, when he picks up this matter of wisdom expressly again, he gives to us not so much a definition of wisdom, but a description of wisdom. He says in verse, three, uh, verse 13 of chapter 3, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you see that description? It's, it's moral skill. It's the uh, ability to see things so that, it, so that we know how to live out practical righteousness. Or I think of wisdom and I think of, of King Solomon when he began his reign and God says, what do you want, kid? I'll give, ask me now, I'll, I'll give it to you. And he asked for wisdom, good, good request. And, 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 but even in the Lord's response, we learn something about a, a description or a definition of wisdom Um, He says to the Lord, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. Moral skill. Uh, Practical righteousness. You see, without that kind of thing, without wisdom... Uh, rejoicing in the face of trials won't, won't make a lick of sense. We won't grasp that the Lord is producing spiritual growth and maturity through the pathway of trials. This, this issue here in verse 5 then starts us not on a whole separate train of thought, but really as a continuation of thought that that if we are to grasp the purpose of trials so that we can rejoice in the midst of our trials, then we are going to need wisdom from God. In fact, look at the tail end of verse 4 back in chapter 1, talking about the end game, the outcome of the production, how God uses trials to produce spiritual maturity in us, spiritual growth in us. He talks about the outcome of that spiritual maturity is that we will be lacking in nothing. You see that at the end of verse 4? Do you see how he plays off of that now in verse 5? In other words, the outcome of spiritual maturity is that we will be lacking in nothing. In the meantime, though, before we get there, 
there's things that we lack. And, and in, in particular, one of the things that we lack is wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom. So, so, so it, it, it's kind of a cyclical matter here. Wisdom, on the one hand, is the result of maturing spiritually through the trials that we go through. And yet, we can't wait uh, for us to go through the trials to have the wisdom that we need that trials provides for us so that we will understand how to go through those trials. And so I'm kind of in limbo, if you would, because um, I, I need to go through trials to see how God's producing spiritual maturity in me so that I can grow in wisdom, and yet I need wisdom on the front end of facing trials. And so James just says, well, if you know you don't have it and you need it, just ask God for it. Wisdom is a must if we are to face trials in a way that we can have a perspective on those trials that affords us the opportunity to actually rejoice in what God is doing in the midst of those trials. Ask for it. Now, in a culture that um, loves to say, and I'm not picking on this completely, although... Uh, it, it's just a common phrase today, and I think we mean well by it, but in a culture of, you got this, I mean, that's not what you say to someone who's going through a trial. You got this. James has an entirely different perspective. Rather than you got this, in essence, what James is saying is, you need this. Need what? You need wisdom. Paul, Paul would ask over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he would ask, who is sufficient for these things? Oh, and, and the implied answer there when he asks that, who is sufficient for these things, is, well, no one. Do you have a category for that? Are you, do you got this for the trials that are hitting you upside the head? Do you got this? Uh, or do you flounder and say, I am not sufficient to walk through this trial. You see, apart from the resources that our Lord applies to his people, that he gives to his people, uh, apart from those resources, we ain't got this. We need this. We need the wisdom. And, and, and we don't natively have that wisdom. Uh, we are one of the no ones. But that's okay. Because while we're part of the no ones, the no ones are told to ask someone, our Heavenly Father, asking for wisdom. Now, just pause for a second. So what do you normally do in the face of trials? I, just a rhetorical question. I don't need you to blurt it out for me. Um, do you ask? That's a simple question, and yet I often find my own self as I would look back upon those moments of difficulty, of loss, of hurt, of sorrow, those moments of, of affliction and suffering, those moments of trials. I often look back uh, with a different set of, of glasses, if you would. By the way, I have different glasses on this morning. I can see both you and the notes, which is a good thing. But, um, but, but I look back, and, and often in those moments of hurt and uh, uh, shock, 
and despair and anger and sadness. We are prone to not ask, aren't we? We are prone to go back to our own natural default setting and try to work this out without the resource of wisdom from the Lord. We're, we're, we're prone to think, I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm on my own. I'm an orphan. I've got to figure this out my own self. I've got to come up with my own scheme of escape. I've got to come up with my own strategy for response. I, in other words, we don't ask is all I'm simply saying. How often do we look back and say, I went through that season of trial uh, and I didn't rejoice. I grumbled and I moaned and I fussed and, and, and in part because I, 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 I just, I didn't ask. I, I, I thought I got this. Or when we do ask, you ever, you ever tried to go back and analyze, well, what specifically did you ask for? Um, and so often I find myself, it's just like, wow, I, I, think, I think I lost this verse from my Bible because I just went through this trial and I certainly had some sense to ask, but, but I didn't ask the Lord for wisdom to sustain me through the trial. What did you ask for in the midst of your trial? Lord, get me out of here right now. Had enough of this. I've, I've, I've missed, I've missed a, a, a part of that day's lesson, that day's curriculum, that the Lord had an altogether different um, uh, learning strategy that day. Uh, I, I, I thought that I would learn once he removed this suffering from me. He thought that I would learn best by keeping me in that suffering so that I would cry out to him for the wisdom to understand what's going on here. I'm not saying that it's wrong in the midst of our trials to ask for relief. I'm just saying that, but, but, but maybe we need to bump out our prayer repertoire. And as we would say, Lord, I, I would prefer that, I just don't understand this. I'd prefer that you would take this away from me. But, but Lord, if, if it is your good hand to leave this on me, Lord, I'm going to need help, i.e., I'm going to need wisdom. And what it says here, James is so encouraging to us that God is generous for those who ask. Um, he says there in the Second part of verse 5, let him ask God, who, who, this God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's just, it's, James is trying to enlighten, expand our confidence that, 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 that the Lord is inclined to give unwaveringly and without hesitation. Lord, I need wisdom. You got it. When it comes to the wisdom that his children need to sustain us and give us the perspective uh, of how to make sense of our trials, um, the Lord is not stingy. He's not fickled. He's not a take-backer. Is that a word? He's, he's not nitpicky. Well, I would have given it to you if you would have held your head just right when you asked. He's not a fault finder. 
Listen, I think what James is trying to say is he is simply the giving God. Uh, that's all he knows to do. I, what I mean by that is that's, that, that is how he's wired. That, that, is, that is his inclination, his nature. Uh, he is a giving God. Uh, he, this is, and this is such an important conviction that you and I need to have for undergirding our lives of praying. Our view of God is so immensely important. If we see God as, as uh, standoffish and uh, moody and um, uh, withdrawn and um, crabby, always on edge, I'm like, I'm afraid to ask this guy for anything. I mean, I'm a, he's going to go off on me. You know, uh, it's just, this, is, it, this is not our God at all through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he is a God who is generous. Uh, he, is, uh, he gives to all. So, and in particular in this context, he gives to us abundantly, freely, over the top, even perhaps more than needed, if you would, uh, so that as we walk through trials, we might grow and mature because we have the wisdom to, to know that, um, that, that, that the, Lord, the Lord's intentions in these trials are good. In other words, to, to borrow a phrase that we'll look at in a second in verse 8 where he calls people double-minded, the Lord is not double-minded at all. He is, in a word, wholehearted. So ask. Ask him. Now, certainly there's a caveat, and chapter 4 will give us a caveat. He says in chapter 4, picks up this similar theme again, you have not because you ask not. But then he also clarifies that, and, and, and he says, and you ask and you do not have because you'll spend it on your own passions. There certainly is more that we could say, but the, but the orientation that James is giving to us is ask the Lord for wisdom in the midst of your trials because I'm telling you, he's got all wisdom and he just debbies it out generously. He is indiscriminate. Uh, he, he, he's a big spender when it comes to giving out wisdom. But in addition to mentioning there in verse 5, the, the need to request wisdom, he now clarifies in verses 6, 7, and 8, and I want to touch on this briefly, the requirement for wisdom. And what I want you to do is, I, I, I don't want you to see a contradiction with what I've just said, with what I'm about to say. I want you to see that there's a pivot here. James is shifting from, the, from a matter concerning the nature of our Lord because James has just underscored that God wholeheartedly gives to us when we ask him. But now he pivots. The issue is not God's devotion or, or wholeheartedness in the matter of giving. Uh, James now turns the direction and, and talks about us for a moment. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, and the conversation shifts to discussing a, a requirement on our end 
as we approach the God and ask, while God gives wholeheartedly, that's not what's in, at debate here. The issue that James now turns and pivots and focuses on is, do we ask wholeheartedly? Let me explain what I mean by that. Let's look at, look at these verses. Look at verse 6, for instance. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Do you see the interesting play there? He says at the end of verse 5, it will be given to him. And, and, and now in, 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 at the end of verse 7, or in the verse, yeah, the end of verse 7, um, uh, he must not suppose that anything will be given to him. Wow. What's the shift? Well, the shift is not talking about the fickleness of God, the double-mindedness of God that, 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 that we've already seen established, the wholeheartedness of God to give. But, but now we're exploring, well, what's the problem? Where's the breakdown? The breakdown, as James puts it, is a lack of wholeheartedness on our end. For that person must not suppose, verse 7, that he will receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You must ask in faith. You must ask believingly and without doubting. For the man who doubts he says there, um, is like a wave of the sea and is driven and tossed by the wind. That person should suppose that he won't receive anything from the Lord. Now, let me, let me, let me clarify some categories. There is a sense in which it's commonly used this way, and that's a, I think it's fitting uh, based upon other contexts of Scripture. There's a sense uh, that one can truly believe in Christ and yet not have everything figured out, uh, still have some doubts or questions about things. I, I, I like how it's, I think this, the sense of that is, is expressed in Mark 9, 24, uh, where Peter says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. There's a sense in which there is a, a, um, a, a faith and a doubt that can coexist, if you would. That, 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 um, but, but that's not how James is using doubt here. He's not using doubt as a struggle to believe. He's using doubt in this context as um, uh, something that is opposite of belief. For, for, for James, faith and doubt do not coexist. Here, as he defines it, as he means it. For James, he is not exploring possible in intellectual questions that, that might still exist even within the soul and mind of a believer. That's not what James is dealing with. No. James is distinguishing between true devotion to the Lord, which he just calls faith, and a moral apprehension toward God, a, a distrust of God. 
turning to the Lord while struggling with some matters is different than not turning to the Lord until all of your concerns get worked out. Morally, we are not instructed to wait to turn to the Lord until we are satisfied with all of our answers, as though we were the ones in charge. You see the distinction that I'm playing here? We are under a moral obligation right here, right now, this morning, to turn to Jesus and trust only in him. You say, I've got some questions. That's fine. We can work those out. But have you obeyed what the Lord has told you to do? What is difficult about morally rejecting yourself and leaning not on your own wisdom, but in all your ways acknowledging him and he will make your path straight? This is a moral issue, not an intellectual issue. It's fine if you have true intellectual questions about things pertaining to the Christian faith. That's a whole other set of issues than morally, I just don't buy it. I'm not in. There's a difference between saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. There's a difference in saying that than saying, Lord, I'm not going to believe in you until you take away all my own beliefs. That's a defiance. No. You and I are under moral obligation this morning to trust only in Jesus. You're not under that moral obligation because I said so. We are under that moral obligation because that is what God has told us in his word. And every man, woman, and child will answer for that moral obligation. So let me clarify. James isn't saying that if we ask for wisdom, uh, that prayer will only be answered in and with we in and in and when and if uh, we achieve a perfect confidence in the Lord. No, James is saying that faith is a commitment to the Lord, and to ask the Lord without a commitment to the Lord is being double-minded. You're being morally shifty. And God ain't playing that game. You can't go out here and live your life in such a way that you have no thought for God, no obligation, no sense of responsibility to the moral law of God. In fact, you reject the moral law of God, and you find yourself in a pickle, and then you cry out to God in the moment of that pickle, and then once the relief passes by, you forget all about God again. Shifty. James is saying, you can expect to keep on living in an unstable way if that's the way you're going to play this thing out. Whew, James is tough. For James, faith is not just, oh, yeah, I know some things about Jesus. I grew up in church. I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I read Bible quotes on Facebook. I even post a couple every now and again. No, for James, faith is 
I'm all in with Jesus. My life has now terminated. His life in and through me has now begun. And what I want and what's up with me and what's important to me and what my dreams and wishes and hopes are, are all kaput. Because I now live for my master. For James, that's just called believing in Jesus. It's trusting in him. And, and James is saying in that context, so, so that when you're facing trials, which is not an odd thing for someone who follows Christ, when you're facing trials and, and they hit you, uh, then since you belong to Jesus, you are devoted to him, you are wholeheartedly in on him, know this, he's wholeheartedly in on you. And you can ask him for that wisdom that you need to get you through that trial. But if you're one foot in, one foot out, you're going to flounder in those trials. I say that not to, because I'm happy with that. I say that to, with a sense of sadness. It's sad to see people who think themselves to be Christian but have no interest in seeking the Lord and being devoted to the Lord. And then, and then they're all angry with the Lord when the bottom does drop out of their life. Well, if that's the way he's going to treat me, well, how about the way you've been treating him? You have spurned his law. You have failed to worship him because you esteem yourself more than you esteem the Lord. That's not believing in Jesus. Hebrews 11, verse 6 reminds us, and without faith, without a devotion, a wholehearted loyalty to Jesus, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And he says, but, but for whoever would draw near to God. See, what faith is, is coupled with a drawing. I, oh, I believe in Jesus. I just did ever turn to him. But, but he, he couples us together. If we believe in Jesus, we will draw near to him. And he goes on, particularly, but we, when we draw near to him, we must believe, we must be confident that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is a... a Drawing near to God. It is a seeking of God. Uh, faith uh, operates under the assumption that God is real, and I now live in, a, a, in an intimate relationship with him, and that relationship colors every aspect of my life, every decision, every action, every priority, every word, every pursuit, every kind of relationship. It is now colored by the law of Christ whom he would say here in this passage, in this book, is the perfect law, the law of freedom. We're never freer than when we're fully devoted to Jesus, and we're never f more free to live according to God's law than when we belong to Jesus. It's good. So if we're not all in, then James is saying, then everything I just said about the generosity of God, it's not true for you. I mean, how did we go from, and it will be given to him, to he must not suppose that anything will be given to him? Is it lack of devotion or wholeheartedness on the part of the giver? or on the part of the needer. The Lord loves his people. And he loves his people wholeheartedly. 
he never plays, he loves me, he loves me not, that kind of silliness. There, there is never a moral wavering to the Lord's love for his people. And really the issue that James is breaking it down to, and so, but can we say the same? We, we, The Lord doesn't need a command for us to, for him to love us wholeheartedly. It's just built into his nature. But boy, you and I sure need a command, such as Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. In other words, we must trust Jesus. And when we trust Jesus with true devotion, and we find ourselves in the midst of trials, and we ask the Lord to help us, he never says, get away, kid, you're bugging me. He's always in on that. God gives generously. And yet the real struggle for you and I is when we walk through either good times or bad times, uh, that uh, we would turn away from the Lord we would not call upon him. We would not seek him. We would, we would, not, we would, we would not turn to him. Uh, see, the worst case scenario for any part of life, but when we're talking about facing trials, is, is to face them when we are in a state of moral instability. I can't think of anything that would toss you and me further and wider uh, than to face trials with no moral foundation. And yet the basis of that moral foundation is found in trusting Jesus, who from his heart, filtering out through all of his words, through all of his emotions, through all of his commitments, loved and followed and obeyed and was wholeheartedly devoted to the Father in heaven and because of Jesus, he now pardons us of our half-heartedness, of our lack of devotion, of our, of our penchant to try to make life work apart from him. It is through Jesus that people like you and I can be rescued because it is through Jesus that people like you and I can be given new hearts, hearts that begin to grow in greater confidence and love and devotion to the God who rescues us. So turn to Jesus. Trust only in him. And if you've already done that, then turn to Jesus. Trust only in him. And when he walks you through trials and difficulties, ask him asking for the wisdom you need to make sense of it. Father, thank you for giving wisdom to all who ask you, to all who belong to you, to all who are not half-hearted or superficial or who are just outwardly playing the part. Oh, but Father, you dearly love those who belong to you. Your devotion to them begins to impact and color 
and undergird our growing devotion to you. For that we are thankful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.